Hey, 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 every stinking one of y'all, how's it going? I hope this finds you having an excellent morning. If your name is uh, Jeremy Daniel, this is probably 5 a.m. Tuesday morning. Ty King, Mark Youngblood, it should be probably about 6.30 to 7. Everybody else, I'm not sure when you listen, but I hope it's a good one. Um, as always, shout out to my boys, the LMK crew, my, my homies, my dudes. Uh, that would be Mark Youngblood with the Pick 4 Podcast. If you're living under a rock and haven't heard it, then once this is done, go listen to it. He's got some good episodes. If you Honestly, if you haven't listened, I would highly recommend going and listening to any of the ones that me, Mark, Ty King have done. And then we've done a couple of with us three plus uh, JP Cotton. All three. Four to five of those that we've done together are hilarious, great listens, and they're a good way to kind of get into the uh, pick four. Um, he actually just celebrated one year of episodes. Uh, shout out, Mark. That's pretty damn awesome. If it wasn't for Mark and his endeavor, I wouldn't be sitting right here recording. You wouldn't be listening to me. Um, Ty King wouldn't be having his Win, Loser, Ty podcast. I know that I had always talked about one. I know Ty had always talked about one, but uh, it kind of took Mark taking the leap uh, making mistakes that we could learn from and having the balls to put himself out there. So, uh, as for many things in my life, Mark, I owe you everything to, uh, kind of encourage and inspire me to do this. So, uh, I appreciate you, buddy. You always been my best friend, my, my dude, someone I've always looked up to. So thank you for that. Appreciate you, man. Um, Check out our sister pod, the hate pod. Um, that's always a fun interactive thing. It's just something silly, but you'll kind of hear people get pissed off and go on rants. The beautiful thing is everybody listening can add a hate pod. You can be anonymous. You can call yourself out. It don't matter. Pick for podcast at gmail.com. That's pick the number four podcast at gmail.com. Just put like in the subject, hate pod, um, record it on your phone, send it to their Tell Mark what's from. You can either record it. He's even had some people though, like if you don't want your voice out there, if you'll type up what you want said, uh, Mark will just record it in his voice. So that's always fun as well. And that's a fun podcast. Moving on. And no, I didn't say having said that because it's not quite time for that. I'm flying solo this week. So I'm on like episode 32, I believe. Of all the guests I have, it's safe to say that I am my favorite guest. Um, yes, I am. I listen to my own podcast every week, so you tell me what that means. I don't know. I say I'm doing it for research purposes to see how good it sounds. Maybe there's some truth to that. Um, if y'all listened last week to my episode that I did with Ty King... Um, then you're about to know what I'm going to talk about. If you didn't, go listen to that podcast. It was cool. With Ty's, for, for those, those of y'all that don't listen to the Win, Loser, Ty, he just interviews cool people. There's not much of an agenda. It's just like, hey, let's get to know anybody he finds interesting. And I think he's had a ton of interesting people. So I wanted to do that for him. So I thought that was kind of cool that I, I, I Win, Loser, Tied Ty. Uh, we got to get to know who Ty is, where is he from, his journey in life, and starting off at you know, friendship and going on the tech and all these endeavors that he's gone on. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I learned a lot about him and I don't know. I feel like he, he deserves to get his story out just as much as anybody does on his show. So 
Um, but I mentioned in the show that I wanted to talk about something. So this isn't something that a whole lot of people know about me. Um, those who are very close to me know, but it, I just decided finally that I'm just gonna, I'm going to do it. This podcast is kind of Help me out with kind of jumping in and the deep end and without floaties and kind of seeing what happens. So there's many reasons I want to talk about this, but the main one is going to be is if this helps somebody, then then I think that that my job here is done. Whether that's somebody listening, um, it may be a family member or a loved one that's listening or that that the listener knows. Um it's something pretty, pretty deep, pretty, pretty strong, but I, I want everybody to listen. You're going to get to know me and kind of who I am and some paths I went down when I was much younger than I am now kind of made me who I am the man today. But honestly, and I'll just go ahead and kind of leave this disclaimer is if anybody, if you or anybody, you know, is struggling with what I'm about to go through, um, please feel free to reach out to me. I will be glad to talk to you. I will be glad to talk to you whoever it is you may know and just kind of share where I'm at and kind of what I went through to, to maybe help somebody else. If not, then enjoy another listen of me chatting. <clears throat> so what I'm talking about with that is uh, something called the A word, addiction. Um, I think our society as a whole tends to judge addicts a lot quicker than I feel like they should. Um, it's very easy to think that someone with addiction is a piece of shit. Um, they want to be doing that or how, how can they do that because their parents are so nice or why, how in the world can this person choose drugs or alcohol or whatever their addiction is over their own family, their children and stuff. And I'm here to shed some light on that to tell you that they're, they're really not. Um, we need to watch how we treat them. It's so easy for us to judge somebody who's struggling as opposed to taking a step back, realizing, hey, what is causing this person to turn to this substance? And what can I do to help this person? Help dig them out of that hole. Not everyone, and very few, honestly, addicts are pieces of shit. The drugs may be the piece of shit. The alcohol may be the piece of shit. But the the person behind them is more than likely a pretty good person. They just need some help. Having said that, when I was uh, 18 years old, I became an addict to a very, very dangerous drug called OxyContin. Um, it took over my life for two years. And, and I, when I say it took over my life, I mean, it absolutely took over my life. Um, but let's backtrack a little bit. So I grew up here in West Texas, uh, right here in Lubbock. I grew up in a very loving household, very Christian based household. We went to church every Sunday and pretty much every Wednesday and my parents did home group at the house and we got involved in the buckaroos with uh, some family friends and stuff and <clears throat> my parents had good morals. My dad was a very hard worker, still is obviously to this day, but um, decided you know he was going to bust his ass for his family so that way his wife, my mother, <coughs> wouldn't have to work. He said he wanted her to be there to take us to school, to pick us up, to take care of us daily. Which she did, and my mom had the hardest job of all, and that's being a stay-at-home mom. 
Um, and even harder than being a stay-at-home mom is being a stay-at-home mom to me and my, my two brothers. Uh, we gave her hell. We gave that poor woman a run for her money, but she made us who we all are, and we're all great people because of that, and I think all three of us owe everything we have to our to our mother and our father. Um, we grew up in a, in a pretty nice house. Those of y'all that know where I grew up, and I don't say that to sound like an asshole, but I, I bring that up for a reason that I'm going to get to in a minute, but... We didn't grow up wanting for anything. Um, you know, my parents taught us to, that we were spoiled, but we weren't spoiled brats. We were always very grateful for everything we were given. My dad said that he, he was going to work hard, and he did. He owned a company, still does to this day, that he works his ass off for. Um, and he wanted us to experience things him that him and my mom didn't get to have as kids. And I think that that's every parent's goal. I try to do that for my children, um, as I'm sure every one of you parents can understand and do. Is You, you always want to let your kids have a little bit more than you did, no matter what you grew up with. Good, bad, whatever. Uh, the, <coughs> the reason I say all that is because I think it's very easy to look at somebody and think that they must come from some this bad background or you know what kind of what went on in their life in order to to make them act like this and do these drugs and do these alcohols and whatever it is i'm here to tell you that's not always the truth and more than likely it's probably it's probably not the case more often than it is the case you know there is research done that kids who grew up in abusive alcoholic uh household are more than likely to be abusive alcoholic same goes with drugs um, and, and obviously that makes sense, but I think that the, the people forget that that's not always the case. Sometimes things just happen. People are going to be people, humans are going to be humans, and people are going to try things. And that's kind of where I was. I was just always curious what certain things made me feel like. So I grew up playing baseball, did some basketball, did some football. I was the worst basketball player in the history of basketball. Um, worst football player in the history of football, and not that good at baseball. Um, but loved loved playing baseball. That was what my family did. Obviously, anybody that knows me knows how how amazing my brother was, my twin brother at at baseball. Um, anyways, I played as a little kid and up through my freshman year of, of high school. Played my freshman year. Didn't have a great season. Um, high school kids are jerks, and it's kind of a weird time in life where you want to fit in, and the easiest way to fit in is to pick on keep people and so you start picking on somebody that is an easy target and then everybody else starts picking on that person and the next thing you know that's kind of just the way it is and that's what happened to me freshman year uh just being straight up honest with you there was a a group of guys that were pretty cool on the baseball team uh david owen zach Terrina, casey cotton those guys were super nice to me um Never messed with me, picked on me, even though I wasn't the greatest of baseball players. But there was a pretty big group there, and um, they all wanted to show off for this one kid, okay? Um, and for some reason, that meant go fuck with the little guy, go fuck with Landry. And so it kind of turned something that was supposed to be a fun game to me to that I hated going to practice. I hated going to the games. I can remember having a bad game on a doubleheader one day on a Saturday at the varsity field at Friendship. And in between games, I went and pulled my mom aside and said, I'm done. I'm leaving. This is no fun. These guys aren't making this any fun. Why am I wasting my time to have teammates that treat me like dog shit? Uh... She told me, I, I understand, but we can't quit in the middle of a doubleheader. I've raised you better than that. You're not going to be a quitter. So I understood and went back, 
dwelling on it for a really long time and decided that at the end of the baseball season, I was done. I was no longer going to be playing. Um, and that's probably for the better. I'm not saying I was a great baseball player, but I did love it. Um, but that was the end of that chapter. Ironically enough, that summer, so you're talking a couple weeks after baseball season, was the first time I ever smoked pot. Um, I was with a buddy of mine. He, We were at a the Lake Ridge swimming pool, after actually, and he came up to me, and we were swimming, and he said, Hey, man, do you want to go buy s- some weed? I said, man, I'm not super familiar with what that even is. I've only heard of it, but whatever. He said, man, you just smoke it. That apparently makes you feel funny. So we decided to scavenge up what little money we had as, I guess we would have been 15-year-old boys, and I think we scavenged up 10 bucks. We walked behind the uh, uh, concession stand thing over there in, in Lake Ridge and bought us allegedly $10 worth of pot. I'm sure we got ripped off because we didn't know what we were doing. Went home, went to his house, smoked it. Um, after that, I kind of enjoyed it, but not really, really too much. I don't think I did anything else that summer. I may have drank a little bit. But later on sophomore year, so fast forward to sophomore year, um, I discovered pot again. Started smoking weed sophomore year of high school. Um, I do think it's safe to say that had I uh, stayed playing in sports, I would have never went down that road. Um I can't say for sure, but you know, when you've got nothing else to do and you're in high school and you're a boy and you're driving and all this stuff, you get a lot more freedoms and I had nothing to keep me busy. So I decided to start smoking pot. Didn't smoke all the time, but enjoyed it when I did. Me and a a couple buddies, I'm not going to name names. Uh, And that was all fun. But I remember... um, I guess it would have been later on that sophomore year, but on a, I honestly think it was junior year, though. I know for sure I was old enough to drive. I went to go to the bathroom at Friendship High School. Um, this kid that we went to school with was happened to be in there at the same time. He said, hey, man, do you want a hydrocodone? And I said, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, man. He said, a hydrocodone, it's a pain pill. And I was like, I'm not really hurting, so I don't know why I would need that. And he said, no, nah, man, it makes you feel good. It's It's like a... Just take one here. I paid him $2.50. He gave me one pill. I uh, saw him at between in passing period with the next class. He asked me how I felt. I said, dude, I don't I don't feel anything. I don't understand what I'm supposed to be feeling. He said, well, maybe you need one more. So he gave me another one. Um, I guess I got high off of those pills. I don't really remember anything after that. But I, I do remember, and the reason I say that is it was clearly... Me not even knowing what it was and being willing to jump in and just try something was probably not the best uh, best thing for me. And, and, and I'm not sure why I trust, especially this person. This dude was such a jackass. <laughs> like I, I'll be honest, I couldn't stand this guy. I bet you if I saw him today, I'd pretend I didn't even know who he was. But for some reason, I trusted this guy, and I did it. And I did that a couple times throughout uh, that year. Still smoked weed. Um, but I can't remember doing it a whole lot (sighs) flash forward to senior year i was smoking weed pretty much every day um i had this perfect route so i would go down 4th street to turn on alcove alcove once you hit 34th street just becomes a dirt road 
So I would get high there on the way before school. Um, I had this perfect little tree there where I could hide all my stuff because, of course, we had drug dogs at the school that would come by and smell people's cars. Go on the class. Uh, yes, uh, Ty, that was <laughs> before your class because I had you first period. Sorry about that. Um, go home after school, Pick, stop at that tree, pick my stuff up, go home. That was kind of my daily routine pretty much my entire near, senior year of high school. Um, and, yes, shocker. I didn't take school serious. Um, that was one thing that I wish I could take back is, is, is taking school a bit more serious in high school. Um, and a lot of it was because I was more concentrating on goofing off and doing that. Um, and no, I was not the only person in my circle doing that same thing. Uh, high school graduation happens. The day before high school graduation, um, I had a girlfriend... We wound up not working up, working out, which is perfectly fine. But you know when you're 18 and you, you think that your life revolves around certain things, whether it's friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever the situation may be, you, you're not quite mature enough to understand the bigger picture in life is not so small over something something that, that small. Um, but unfortunately, that that right there kind of made me not give a shit for a while. Something else that happened around that same time, and this would have been in November of my senior year, so November of 2004, I was diagnosed with a very rare type of cancer. Um, this cancer luckily did not make me have chemo or radiation, but I did have to go through some very, very extensive surgeries. Um, I'm afraid, I don't, I may, if I remember, I don't know if I remember, I'll try to post the pictures on, on this whenever I go on Facebook. So if you're, if you look on Facebook, you'll see them. If not, they may get flagged though. They're pretty, pretty gory pictures. Um, but the reason I even bring that up is because, because, um, of these major disgusting surgeries in my back that I was having, obviously I was in a tremendous amount of pain legit pain. And you could see these pictures and say, okay, that's legit. He's not just being a sissy. So, of course, I was prescribed all the pain pills you can think of, the hydrocodones and all that stuff. Was only taken on for pain. I mean, it's not like I didn't know at this time that that, that that pain pills could be a problem. Yes, a year ago, junior year, I was taken on a couple times in the bathroom, but it wasn't anything that led to anything. Um, having said that, even though I was still taking these pills for legitimate pain, dependency can still happen. And, and regardless of what you say, everybody knows that those pain pills can make you feel pretty, pretty good, pretty funny, pretty loopy, whatever. Um, I'm not going to say that that started a problem, but I can tell you that whenever I would take those, I did feel a little bit better. Um, so after high school, I have the issue that I think is the end of the world. I was battling cancer. I went through about seven surgeries in about the span of 18 months. And this I had two during high school and the rest of them right after. Um, so it was a long summer for me. And it turned into I had cancer and I just didn't give a shit. I just graduated from high school. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do in life. Uh, wasn't going to really plan on going to do anything specific for college. I was going to go to South Plains, but that's just because of what we were doing. Um, and I just kind of had a fuck it mentality. My dad, like I said, owned a business, owned that business, I think, for since I was a little bitty kid, well over 18 years. Um, and his two partners that he owned the business with in three equal shares were a husband and a wife 
who absolutely fucked him over one day, and he walked in, and they essentially said, we're buying you out. Something he wasn't prepared for, for a business that he grew from the ground up, but that's the way business goes. It's shady as hell. Um, so now I've got cancer. I'm a high school graduate not knowing what the hell I want to do. I don't really have a care in the world, and now everything my dad's worked hard for to give us, we don't know what we're going to do. So he decides he's going to have to do the same thing, and the best place to do is going to be to relocate to Farmington, New Mexico. Um, that's a pretty big change. Even though we were just out of high school, you still, you know, you, you, your parents are still married and kind of turning upside down, and that was kind of a pretty hard thing to swallow. Him having to, to kind of go back and forth from Lubbock to New Mexico and us going down there, and it was just a pain. So, um, that summer, I, when I say I didn't give a shit, I'm going to tell you right now, people, I did not give a shit. Lots and lots and lots of drinking went on that summer. Pretty much seven nights a week. I was a lifeguard at uh, Texas Water Rampage at the time. We would work our shifts. We, being me and a couple buddies that worked there with us, um, we would go to one of our houses. We would always change, and it was either every single night. Go to a party. We'd have a party to go to. We would go to, uh, we used to hang out with a guy that was a little bit older than us. Go to his house. He lived on his own. Um, lots of alcohol was involved, lots of pot involved. And for that summer, we dabbled. I say that I'm not going to say we, because this is a story about myself is I dabbled a lot in cocaine. I wouldn't say I ever got addicted to it. I personally just never, I didn't mind doing that, but it wasn't something I woke up thinking about, but if it was there, you can bet your ass that we were going to do it or I was going to do it. Um, a couple months after high school, a big group of us worked at, a local Pizza Hut chain, not local, global Pizza Hut chain, that was out in Wolforth. That 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 job was so much fun. It really was. It was just a big group of fun people. People we graduated with. Some of them my age, and a couple of them because my older brother, who's two years older, a bunch of him and his friends. So when we would all work the same shifts, man, we just had fun goofing off, delivering pizzas. Was like the easiest job in the world. Um. One Friday night, I remember my parents were out of town. Um, I'm sure my mom was in New Mexico seeing my dad for a while. And one of the guys that I worked with came up to me at work and said, Man, I feel so good. I knew that it had to be something substance related. I didn't ask questions. I didn't ask him why he felt good. What I did was reach into my tip stash and I said, here's 20 bucks. Get me whatever it is you're on. I would love to try that. Keep in mind, I didn't give a fuck. I had that mentality about everything. So I didn't even ask him what it was that was making him feel good, which should have been a red flag right there. Um, I should have maybe questioned a little bit. So he goes, whatever, we get off work. I worked later than him. Um... All of us went to my parents' house afterwards to go drink and party a little bit, and he shows up with a pill, which he bought with my 20 bucks, and said, hey, man, this is called OxyContin. I said, I don't know what that means. He said, it's a pain pill. It's really strong. Here's what you're going to do. There's an outer coating around it. You scrape that outer coating off. I wouldn't do more than about, uh, this was a 20 milligram, so it's about half of this pill. You crush, you cut it in half, crush it up, and then you snort it. 
I was like, all right, man, let's do this. Still didn't question that. That should be like right there. A normal person is saying, run as fast as you can away from these people, away from these drugs. My mind said, hell yeah, this is going to be a blast. As soon as I did it, it, it was it was a feeling I had never felt before. So those of y'all that aren't familiar with what OxyContin is, other than the fact that it's a pain pill because I just told you, it's known on the streets as synthetic heroin. Almost all heroin addicts start off with OxyContin. The reason they move to heroin is because it's essentially the same exact high. It's easier to get, and it's way cheaper than OxyContin is on the streets. Um, from that moment, my life took a huge spiral downhill for for two years. Um, I wouldn't say I was addicted from the first time I did it. Um, I'm not so sure that's a thing. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It wasn't to the point where I just had to have it, but it was to the point where I would work and I'd make cash because we were making tips, obviously delivering pizzas. And, um, I would give this same kid some money and, you know, maybe go through a pill every week, which turned into about two pills a week, which turned into, Hey man, quit me in the middle, man. Introduce me to this guy you're getting it from. And I'd go to his, his apartment at the time and we would party and hang out and then I'd buy stuff. And then I got to the point where it was, uh, I feel like I need a little bit more. So what else do you have that's a little bit stronger? So then we go up in milligrams. Um, very quickly, very quickly, unfortunately, turned into it was something that I needed daily. Um, I would wake up in the morning. I lived on my own with with two, two roommates at the time. But I wake up in the morning and... I would have to 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 like break out a line and he, to feel normal. So what people don't understand is, and this is something I want to really stress, is drug addicts, a true addict, is not doing that drug anymore to get high. It's not about getting high. It is about getting normal. You're trying to chase that high that doesn't exist anymore. But life without it is fucking miserable. The pain that you that you go through without having that in your system once you built up a tolerance is a pain that I can never, never express. And I'm talking physical pain, not emotional pain. I'm talking physical pain. Um, cold sweats. Sick. It's like the worst flu you've ever had, and it happens quickly, probably 8 to 10 hours after your last dose, I guess you could say. Um, miserable. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube it. If you know what I'm talking about, uh, Intervention is a great show that shows people who are coming off of that drug. And it's just, it's absolutely the worst, the worst thing I've ever felt in my life. And this is someone who I said has survived cancer and gone through a lot of shit. Excuse me. Um, so at that point, it wasn't about me needing to get high. It was about, I, I can't function today without this in my system. I'd roll over, do that. Um, if y'all listen to my episode with Corey Miller, you'll hear how we're all assholes and we all quit Pizza Hut. So I was no longer working at Pizza Hut at the time. Moved out, like I said, with two buddies of mine, which was really stupid because I had the freedom to do what I, what I want when I wanted, stay out as like you know you have no rules when you're when you don't have room or when you don't have parents in with you. Um, I was working two jobs. I was working as a waiter and I was working in at a car wash. 
the car wash was to make a good paycheck to pay bills, pay rent, all that good stuff. The being a waiter was clearly to make cash. So I would make cash for the day. I was a damn good waiter. I knew how to work people to get good tips. I would go straight over to the guy's house. However much money I made was essentially how much money I bought. I mean, excuse me, how much money I spent on drugs. Could have been 20 bucks. Could have been 150 bucks. But I was going to spend it pretty much daily. It was to the point that I was doing an 80 milligram tab. Breaking up into quarters, 20 milligrams at a time, and I was doing that daily. There were multiple days where I would do more than that, but that was pretty much my routine is wake up, roll over. I wouldn't get out of bed. I would, I would got to the point where if I was in bed the night before, I would kind of have my supplies ready and broke out and ready to go. So as soon as I woke up the next morning, I would have to immediately snort this in order to be able to get up and get out of bed. Probably around noon or one, do it again, and that would go up until it was time for bed that night. Pretty much a pill a day. Um, and the person selling the pills was uh, very privy to the fact that a whole bunch of us, a lot of us who went to school together, um, some our age, some a little bit older, some a little bit younger, all started this nasty fucking journey together, and we were all in the same page. And all of us were getting addicted, and he capitalized on that to where he would up the price. I think when I started, you're looking at 20 bucks. Whenever I finally decided enough was enough, I was paying about 40 to 50 bucks a pill, doing at least one a day, sometimes two a day. You do the math. That's a lot of damn money spent. Um, it's so bad that I, I didn't have money sometimes, but I had to have it. So I'd call this guy and I say this guy, um, at the time, he was a very good friend of mine. Now, not someone that I knew growing up. I only knew him because he was selling drugs to me. But I would hang out at his house and just shoot the shit. Or I'd go run his errands for him. Or we'd go go here and go there. But, like, as sad as it says, but he became one of my very best friends at the time. For one, a lot of my friends didn't want anything to do with me. Because I was a piece of shit. And two, we just clicked. We kind of got along. Um, I was at his house all the time. I would uh, go run his errands for me. He'd be like, hey, man, I need this, this, and this done. If you'll, <coughs> excuse me, if you'll go do that, I'll give you some. So I'd go pay his rent for him, not out of my money, but go all the way to the other side of town to give his landlord his money for rent. And then I'd go buy groceries for him. Um, I remember multiple times uh, where he was getting all of these pills was in Leveland. So I would drive him to Leveland using my gas. And we'd go, and I'd drop him off at the house he was getting it from, and then I would leave. I'd go sit in the Dairy Queen parking lot for about 45 minutes to an hour. I'd go pick him up, and my reward for doing that was on the way back from Lubbock to Leveland, he'd break me out some some of the goodies, and I'd snort a line right then and there on the way home, and that was kind of my payment. Sometimes he'd give me a pill out of it. Um... Another thing that I think is a problem as I'm talking about this is the readily availableness that the, the government, assuming that physicians and pharmacists have made these drugs is insane. I do think that um, we've made leaps and bounds nowadays with uh, getting drugs to where you have to have a certain type of prescription written from a physician to get it. Everything's documented through the DEA. Um there's, it's pretty much impossible, not going to say impossible, but it's very hard to do uh, pharmacy hopping and doctor hopping a lot easier than it used to be 15, 20 years ago. Um, they're really cracking down on physicians, on pharmacists, on 
patience to try to help this pandemic that's going on of drug addiction and pain pills. So I will give the government credit for that. It's not very often that I say way to go U.S. government, but for that one, I, I will applaud them. But back then, it wasn't that hard to find. So what was happening is this guy, something in Leveland had like a hurt back or something, and his doctor was prescribing him 90 Oxycontins per month. He did not need them. They were 80 milligram tablets. He would somehow got in touch with this drug dealer, and he would sell them. Every single one of them and refill it every month. And how the fuck his doctor gets away with writing 90 tablets every single month for 80 milligram tablets and just thinks that that's acceptable for years after year after year after year. And the doctor didn't get caught doing that. And the pharmacy didn't say, hey, man, something's going on and, and jump in is mind blowing and shame, shame, shame on that pharmacist and on that doctor. The guy didn't need them. Clearly, he was selling them and making a shit ton of money, which caused a lot of fucking people heartache and pain. Um, there were multiple times when I was at this certain drug dealer's house that, um, I would clean his house for him. I'm talking cleaning his toilets or vacuuming his house or, um, doing his dishes, anything I could think of to get just a little bit more because I needed that. And a lot of times I didn't have the money cause I was spending everything I had. And it was a very sad, dark moment. I mean, like the shit you see in movies, um, I was writing a lot of hot checks. I uh, lived with two roommates, writing checks for rent. Most of my rent checks didn't bounce, but when I was writing checks for like the electricity bill and stuff like that, I knew I didn't have the money, but I had the overdraft crap, so I would write that because I had no money. And I wound up getting myself in a very big hole to where I was negative in my account hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I unfortunately found out what pawn shops were. I pawned off some very nice stuff that my parents had got me for gifts for next to nothing. Just to do it again the next day. Um, I think when I knew that I really had a problem, because like uh, Steven, my other roommate Sam at the time, and some other friends used to tell me like, dude, this has got to stop. You've got a problem and we, you've just got to quit doing this. Because they were my age too. They were wanting to party. They were wanting to do their own thing. So it wasn't like they ever had the interventions or anything. But they, of course, did tell me, like, you've got a problem and you've got to stop. Um, <coughs> I didn't want to hear what they had to say. I don't have a problem. I'm doing this because I want to, not because I need to. Of course, that's an addict's, addict's term you're going to hear all the time is I can stop anytime I want to. Well, no, you can't because if you could, you would. Uh um oh okay so christmas my parents give me 500 bucks cash money as part of my christmas gift they did it to me and each of my brothers on december 28th that year me my older brother and a couple of friends two of those who were also doing this with me wanted to take a trip to our family cabin to go snowboarding okay that was three days later i had run out of cash and i had run out of drugs five hundred dollars in three days so i was able to kind of get a hold of just like some hydrocodone or something but that was nothing like what i was used to and the whole reason i bring this up is when we were out of town my brother could tell something was going on because he started seeing me going through withdrawals he could see that i had a legitimate problem 
Um, so when we get home, he brings it up to my mother. Like, hey, so Landry's got a problem. I don't know what's going on, but something's not right. So my mom confronts me, whatever. Uh, I'm still living with my roommates at the time. So I, I make up this bullshit that, yes, I do do some drugs and I'm going to move home because that house is a problem for me, right? Whenever I'm over at that house, I can do what I want. I'm going to come home and I'm going to quit. I was clearly saying that to make my mother happy. Um, I move out of that house and I move home. And that was probably when the addiction got even worse than it had ever been because now I'm not paying rent. So I have more money than I know what to do with at that time. Um, and I, I went down a super dark hole even more. Uh, I was only convincing my mom that I was getting clean, but little did she know that right above her and the second floor of my room was right above hers that I was in the bathroom doing it all the time. Not something I'm proud of at all. Uh, little after my 20th birthday. So I turned 20 on February 3rd, 2007. I had been doing this for a little over two, uh, not over two years, right around two years. So it's almost right after high school when I got started. Um, but sometime in February, I was over at Sam and Steven's house, which was still technically where I lived. Uh, we lived over in the Linwood townhome. So for those of y'all that don't know where that is, that would be off of uh, Erskine and uh, Frankfurt. Parents' house was off of Erskine in Milwaukee. Still is to this day. I left their house about midnight, high as a kite. Um, prior to this, I had not looked in the mirror for a very long time. And I mean months on end. Because I saw black eyes. I saw a kid that weighed about 110 pounds. And I was ashamed of who I was. But I wasn't able to be man enough to admit it. So, <coughs> I'm driving in my Mustang. And I get to almost Erskine and Milwaukee. It's in between Erskine and Frankfurt. And I happen to look in the rearview mirror. This is a moment I'll remember to the day I die. And I glanced at myself. And it took about half a second for me to glance at myself, for me to lose it. And I'm talking, I cried harder than probably any humans ever cried. I had to pull over. There's like a... Uh, a nursing home right on the corner of Fourth and, or excuse me, on Erskine in Milwaukee. And so I pulled over in front of that because I couldn't drive. I was like crying so heavy. And for those of y'all that know me, um, must know how bad that was because I've been I've been told by many of people that I'm not the most emotional guy and I don't really cry that much. So the fact that I couldn't control myself should tell you something. I looked in the mirror and I saw someone I didn't recognize. It wasn't me. I was ashamed of who I was. Um, I was ashamed of the money I spent, being negative in my account, failing all my classes at South Plains College, shattering my parents' heart, clearly shattering Garrett, my older brother's heart, who was with me and saw all this, breaking the hearts of my best friends, Stephen and Sam. I just, I wasn't proud of who I was. I went home living with my parents that night. I lived a couple miles away from where I broke down. Um, didn't sleep. Went downstairs. I had to go to, to, to work the next morning as a waiter. And I'm walking down the stairs, and my mom's on the computer and looks up at me and says, what's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. What are you talking about? She goes, I don't know, but I know you, and I can see something's wrong with you. And the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life up until that point 
was having to tell my mom I had a problem. So I said, Mom, I'm, I'm worse than you think I am. I'm a drug addict. I can't stop doing Oxycontin. And I'm afraid that I'm going to wind up in jail or I'm going to wind up overdosing. I need to go to work. I need to tell my boss I'm quitting and I need to move and I need to move now. My dad was actually at the house at the time because he was still coming back from Lubbock to Farmington for his other job. And he would spend months on end in Lubbock and kind of back and forth. And he was supposed to leave that morning. So uh, I let my mom tell him what was going on. So I said, I got to go. So I get home about two o'clock that afternoon. And my dad's just in total awe and shock because he had no idea. Um, I'm sure he knew that I smoked weed. I don't think that that was a shocker to anybody, but I don't think he had any clue what was going on. So it took him back, and, you know, he got pretty pissed off, as as any parent would. But he stayed. He did not leave that day like he would needed to because his son needed him. So I called a... Uh, I was terrified. I started doing some research on the Internet and realized that people who just stopped abruptly when they were doing as much of that narcotic as I was... Okay, your body can actually go into shock and you can actually die from stopping doing drugs, which is super ironic. Um, so I didn't know what to do. A good friend of mine's, well, doesn't matter. I knew I, 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 I needed to get admitted into the hospital to do this the right way. Um, that's just based on the research I've known. So I left Lubbock. I didn't go to the hospital in Lubbock because I didn't want people to know me. And I went to a uh, out-of-state hospital at a very small town not too far from here, a couple-hour drive, to go to detox. Um, essentially what they do is I got admitted. I can't tell you how long I was there. I've been trying to figure it out for years. I'm assuming three to four days. Um, and they watch you closely, monitoring vital signs, heart rate, rhythm, blood pressure, heart rate, uh, oxygen levels, um, to wean off this drug. But the doctor kind of saw how young I was and how much potential I had in life and said, listen, I'm going to do this safely and I'm going to prescribe you medications to where we're not going to be in danger and we're going to keep a close eye on you. But I'm also going to make your life a living hell for the next however long. He said, I want you to hurt. I want you to be miserable. And I never want you to forget how bad it's going to suck to withdraw and to detox from this medication because I don't want you to ever do the drug again. And that doctor was a man of his word. I hated it. It sucked. The small town hospital was one of the ones that you don't really see very often, but it was, uh, the rooms were doubled up. So it was like me and another patient in a room separated by those little shit hospital curtains that we all know of. And they put me in a room with this old man, and I know this doctor did it on purpose, um, that had dementia, that would scream all night, made my life a living hell. I, all I wanted to do is go punch this old man in the face. Clearly I did not. Um, but I know that doctor was doing that to make me never want to go back to the hospital again. Um, however many days I was there, I'm not sure, but I leave, I come home that day, I pack my bags and I hopped in my dad's car and we left for Farmington, New Mexico. I did not tell a single person what I was doing, where I was, where I was going. Um, nobody knew. Nobody knew I was in uh, in detox. It was one of those, I left my cell phone in Lubbock, I left my car in Lubbock, and I disappeared off the face of the earth. It was just me and my dad and Farmington, and that was my form of rehab. Um, I did not attend like a normal 12-step program of rehab, but I rehabbed um, by going down there. 
after about a week, I knew I needed to tell one person, um, who to this day is the most loyal friend I've ever had in my life. And that would be Mr. Stephen Williams. I called him and he answered and I told him where I was and why I was there and what I was doing and that I was safe. And he, uh, he told me he was proud of me and he was glad I was doing it and he'd always be here if I needed anything and wish me the best of luck. And God damn it if he didn't mean that. Um, when things occur to you in life, you realize real quick where you stand in other people's lives. People you think are your friends are not really your friends. People you think care about you don't give a shit. And it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard lesson to learn, but every single human being goes through it. Every single one will. Um, but I realized real quick, people that I thought were my friends were just good people, fun to hang out with, were just buds. I teach that to my kids all the time that you got to be careful using the word friend. Just because someone gets along with you and you can laugh and have fun and spend the night at each other's house does not mean they're your friend. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need buddies. We need acquaintances. Steven was my best friend, though. When I needed someone to talk to, I called Steven. This is when I was in New Mexico. Steven answered 100% of the time. 100% of the time. Steven has a very busy job. Him and his dad still work their asses off doing just beautiful carpentry work. It didn't matter how busy he was. If he saw my phone number calling, because at the time I had brought my cell phone, a couple months into this, uh, he answered noon, lunch break, answered because he knew later needed him. 4.30 in the afternoon when it's crunch time and he's trying to get the day done, he would answer. He would usually tell me, dude, you know better than to call me right now. I'll call you back in an hour. But he knew he needed to answer because he knew I needed him. I can remember calling him a couple times on, on weekends. My dad would, like, either whether he was coming to Lubbock for a while or if he needed to travel on business, I wasn't ready to come back home. So I would I was up in Farmington by myself. I had zero friends, knew nobody there. Um, like I said, I was working for my dad's company, but these are all with grown adults, and I'm 20 years old. Um, so I would just go to the house me and my dad were staying at and do nothing. So I'd call Steven on weekends, sometimes 11, 12 at night, bored out of my mind. And he would answer. I can remember one time he answered at a party. And he answered and said, let me run outside. And he went outside and he talked to me for about 20 minutes. When his buddies are all inside drinking and partying and having fun, which is what he was doing, that dude knew I needed him. Um, even at midnight on a Friday night when he didn't, shouldn't have a care in the world than to worry about me. Stephen, I'll ever forever be grateful for you for that. And I've told people for years and years and years and years and years, and I'll say that for the rest of my life, that you're the most loyal friend that I've ever had because of that 10-month period that I was in Farmington. I never questioned if you cared about me. I never questioned if you loved me. I never questioned if our friendship was real because you proved to me that you're here for me. And I still love you to this day. Um, we still talk quite a bit and we'll talk for an hour on a time on the phone and Steven God I fucking love you I love you so much man like I, from the bottom of my heart dude I, I, I can't thank you enough for you helping me get through the shittiest thing I've ever gone through in my life and I'll be honest I'm not so sure I could have done that without you um, I, I really don't think I can obviously I had my family support but especially at that age I needed more than just that I needed I needed someone else, and Stephen, you were that person for me, and I 
from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you for that. And I will love you to the day I die because of that. Um, I was down there for about 10 months. One time I came back home. Um, out of habit, I wound up buying a pill. It's about three months into being done with the pills, sober, sobriety, whatever you want to call it. I did a little bit, felt like the world's biggest piece of shit. I let my parents down. Of course, they don't know that. Um, I let everybody down, threw that in the trash, and came back to form until the next day. Realized I'm not quite ready to come visit Lubbock yet. But that was the last time that I had ever done anything illegal. As far as, okay, I've ever done drugs. Um, I have not even smoked uh, a hit of pot from that day on that was 20 years old when I kind of had that relapse I realized real quick that what the fuck man you've worked so hard your parents have worked so hard your family your friends have worked so hard to get you to this place what are you doing so I quit um, I decided why I was down there what I wanted to do with my life that I wanted to be in the medical field from the battle that I had with cancer and even kind of dealing with what I had with the addiction and I moved back home and you know, fast, fast forward, I wound up meeting my wife a couple years later. I go to nursing school. Here I am. Uh, if you don't know my life story, if you're a newer listener, my very, very, very first episode is me flying solo, kind of talking about, you know, the, the battle of cancer a lot more in depth and how I met my amazing wife and, and all that stuff. And it's a pretty cool, I think it is. Maybe no one else gives a shit about <laughs> shit about what I'm doing. I think it's a cool story. And I don't want to get too far into how I became a nurse and, and the battle that, I, not the battle, but you know, the journey I took there because that's already been done and said, and that's not what this is about. But I am proud to say that it's been 14, almost 15 years now. Um, I'll be 35 in a couple months. And it was right after my 20th birthday that I quit that I have no desire to ever do that. Um, no desire to get high off a pot, although um, my personal opinions to it is I don't understand why that's illegal, but I, I actually kind of want to do an episode on that at some point, so I'll, I'll leave that there, but I don't have a problem with it. It's just something I don't want to do because been there, done that, um, went down that road. I've had a couple surgeries since then. I had a very, 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 very bad, uh, extensive, hard neck surgery not too long ago um, to have a fusion. I had... A deviated septum surgery a couple years before that. Um, obviously, pain pills get prescribed for that stuff. I don't need them. Don't take them. Had them sitting there. I mean, I might have taken one or two because I needed them for the pain, but it wasn't like I would. I needed it for an addiction. And I'm so proud to say that I can have a Tylenol number three that has codeine in it or something in the house to me not want to run over there and take it. Um, it's a pretty cool... It's a pretty cool feeling for myself in a battle one that knowing that I can see something like that and not have any desire to ever do it. Um, it's not an easy road I went down. Um, it's something super almost embarrassing that I did that. Um, I put my parents through hell. I think I put Steven and Sam through hell and some <coughs> other people. But I learned a lot about who I was and what I was capable capable of and what I had in me during the addiction and especially trying to get clean in the battle of staying clean. So it's taught me that I don't need to give up. 
I've had this talk with a couple people and I've known some parents whose kids have struggled and I feel like I might have helped them out a little bit but just by sharing my story. Um, I get so pissed and I brought this up at the beginning is when people are so quick to judge a drug addict. Um, anybody that knows me knows kind of the lifestyle I grew up with. That's not what you would normally expect, right? It can affect anybody and everybody. Um, I break, God, I get heartbroken. We go to Vegas a lot. My wife and I, that's our spot. That's where we're happy. That's where when we're always happy, but that's where we get away. <coughs> we have the most fun together in that place. We go on vacation. It's just, that's our spot. That's where we go. But there is a lot of homeless people on the strip. A lot. And it's only, it's only gotten worse the years, as the years and years and years go by that we go. I was telling her last time we were there that I think to me what's heartbreaking about seeing them is that so many people walking up and down those streets on the strip judge them and fuck with them and get mad at them and laugh at them and get disgusted by them. Every single homeless person I see sitting on the side of of the strip I can see myself is I could have just as easily been one of those guys. Um more than likely those people are not pieces of shit um most of them are actually um ex-military which that's just absolutely heartbreaking but they've made some wrong turns and wrong decisions and they didn't have people in their lives to help them like i did um so i I see people like that and my heart shatters i i see people who are drug addicts or hear stories of people who are drug addicts and oh they're a piece of shit and i can't believe they went cocaine over their kids they don't trust me i'm telling you right now they want their kids more it's not just as easy as saying i'm gonna quit and then you're done i promise you that and anybody that doesn't understand that just take my word for it if it was that easy there wouldn't be a such thing as an addiction to anything um i can tell you for anybody that is struggling or knows somebody that until you're ready to stop the conversations are pointless and getting pissed off at these people isn't going to do any good. And the ultimatums of it's me or the drug or whatever, because until you're ready to quit, you're, why would you? Um, that's why I moved home. And at the first of this, when I tried to quit, um, and I convinced my mom that I was getting clean, I was doing that for her. I wasn't getting clean. That's probably the worst I've ever been. It took me to realize that I needed to clean in order for me to get clean. So don't, don't be so quick to jump on somebody and as hard as it may be for a family member i'm just telling you there and you're not going to quit until you're ready but i can tell you that i am living proof that there is light at the end of the tunnel um it just takes that first leap getting clean is not hard at all anybody can do it staying clean i think is one of the hardest things anybody could ever do um it may mean cutting out friends i unfortunately had to cut out a very good friend of mine for for a very long time um we grew up together we kind of talked about it on a podcast previous and we've reconnected and i talked to him all the time <laughs> i couldn't be more glad to rekindle this friendship because uh this guy's always meant so much to me but i had to make the decision and he understood that that i needed to get away I made greater friends with other people because of that. Because I knew I wanted to hang out with people that weren't doing that stuff. And it's why I got to be so close with Dylan and David and Zach and Weston. Um, 
because I knew those were the type of people I could surround myself with to be safe. I've got a wife. I've got three amazing kids. I shared this story with Reagan um, before her junior year started last year um, in hopes that it, it makes her double double guess, double think. I don't know. If she's offered anything in that same bathroom walking down the same halls I went down or if even if she has this the desire to just smoke a little pot or go out and do something she knows she shouldn't be doing that maybe she'll hear me in the back of her head in this story that I told her and say you know what it's just not worth it it's not worth breaking people's hearts and making yourself feel like shit and be a piece of shit and wasting all that time and energy and money and everything else um I'm proud of the person I've become. Ty, Ty, Ty made a great point when he was at the house recording for the episode last week that it's a cool story to tell, but that's not who I am. And most people don't even know who it is. And I don't I don't look at myself as this. This is something that I just decided I wanted to do one day and had to really think long and hard about how I wanted to do it because I, I honestly forget that I ever went down that road. Um, it's not something I dwell on or something I think about or something I wish I was still doing. Um, I just, it was a story. It, it was my cancer is part of my story. My ulcerative colitis is my story. The drug addiction is part of my story. <clears throat> to add to all the amazing things, I apologize. I just had a glass of whiskey and a burp. We're all phases in life. I tell people, new parents, that all the time is when your baby's crying all night long and you think it's never going to end, it's going to end. It's just a phase. Um,. Same with this. This was a small phase in my life that made me who I am. I hope that <coughs> if I can help one person just by releasing this and letting people know who I am, awesome. If not, I hope people gain a little bit of respect for me and kind of say, man, I had no idea. I think that's so cool. I'm proud of you, and you're doing great. You know, if, I don't need to hear that. I'm not saying that, but it's just, you know. I hope that this is just part of my journey. And with doing this podcast, I've kind of opened up and done a lot of stuff that I didn't think I would do. Talked about things I never thought I would do. Just starting a podcast in general has been something I never thought I would do. I just thought it was me blowing smoke out my own ass. Yet here we are an hour into an episode on a uh, Wednesday night. My my wife and kids are asleep of me talking about something that not too many people know. Um, I hope this doesn't bring judgment upon me because... Fuck you if it does, because this is my life, my journey, my podcast, and I don't think I need you listening anymore if you're going to judge me for this. Uh, but I do hope that it would shed some light. I really hope that somebody, whether it's any of you listeners, or your kids, or your parents, or hell, you're listening and you hear some, it reminds you of somebody that you know and you shoot them this podcast, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I'm living proof that there is. I'm not saying it's an easy, easy journey, an easy ride. It's a pretty fucking rocky road. But you can do some pretty amazing things um, when you when you realize you don't need certain substances in your life. I'm a nurse, and I'm fucking damn proud of it. I've moved into the ICU, and I'm learning and learning and learning and making some pretty good friends while I'm doing it and achieving career goals, and I'll be flying doing flight nursing in a couple years because that's what I want to do and then who knows where that journey will take me and 
I've moved on from that and here here I am and with with three amazing kids and the most beautiful supportive loving wife in the world and things I never thought I would have had at the time so I don't know how far we're into this I'm not sure if anybody's listening um I'm not sure if this story you even got anything out of it um I made some notes and I feel like I I pretty much covered everything I wanted to um, I will say that if uh, anybody has any questions, even if it's just because you're curious, please reach out to me. Find me on Facebook. Send me a private message. If you know me, you can obviously shoot me a text. I would say call me, but my phone ringing makes my skin crawl unless it's my own immediate family. Just shoot me a text. <laughs> but I'd be glad to talk to you. Um, if you know somebody struggling and you want me to help you're goddamn right i'll be there in a heartbeat to help somebody i apologize i just said that babe i know you hate the gd but i feel like it's pretty fitting in that um i don't i don't wish that upon anybody even people that i can't stand and don't care about god i wouldn't wish that among them or their loved ones either so hopefully this will be the only serious podcast that i ever do um I will say that I appreciate every single listener. I can track listens, and it's kind of janky on the way it's tracked. Like one website will say that I have X amount of listens per week, and then I can look on Apple and Spotify specifically, and it's showing that I have way more. Who knows? I go with the higher number because I'm arrogant and I'm cocky, and I want to believe that thousands of people like to hear what I have to say when it's probably not that, but I don't give a shit. Um but from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for listening, not only to this episode, but every single one. We're 32 episodes in, plus a couple bonus episodes that I've done with my kids. Um, and I hope this doesn't stop anytime soon. I do have to quit every couple of weeks as I run out of guests and I run out of ideas. I've got a couple guests lined up, and it's just a matter of, of finding the time. Um, who knows? I may take this journey on, or this podcast on a different route, but I don't give a shit. It's mine, and I'm going to do with it what I want. And. I think I got a pretty loyal following, and I'm glad y'all are listening. And let me tell you right now, every time I receive a text that tells me how good the episode was, I smile so much, and it makes me so happy. Or if someone says something on Facebook to get engaged, Jeremy Arnold's really good about doing that. Jennifer Armstrong's good about like getting involved on the, the social media stuff. Ah, it puts a smile on my face. I just love that. So I wish that more of y'all would do that. So I, I like to know who's listening. I don't care about the how many people are listening, but... Hell, Ashley Whitson, um, I think her last name's different now, but I, we all knew her as Ashley Whitson, tells me the other day that she listens to every episode every Tuesday at work, and she shares an office with a girl we all went to school with, Erica Escobar, so she's heard all of my episodes. How cool is that? Like These are people I haven't even seen or heard from in, in since high school, and they're hearing all these cool stories and listening to a podcast. I need to know these things. Like Find me on social media and just say, hey, man, loving the podcast. What I would appreciate is if you would also share it with people who know me or people who don't. Like, hey, y'all want a good listen every Tuesday? Check this out. But let me know you're a listener. I would love it. I just think it would be the coolest thing in the world if the 85 to 100 listeners I get weekly because it's got to be a close to the same people would reach out to me to let me know they're listening um I just want to know because I want to thank every single one of you personally anyways uh no more serious shit I hope this doesn't bring anybody to feel gloomy but I do hope it brings some light um I got some cool episodes coming up my boy Trey Kesey from uh my new bud from work 
It's coming super soon, and we're going to have some hilarious stories, and it's going to be a damn good time. Uh, Joe Ramirez coming on soon from Impulse Skate. Uh, got a lot of good stuff coming up, so y'all keep listening once again from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to my story, my journey. Let's move on from this sad shit. Love you all. See you.